I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast. And with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories. I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name. Scam was masterfully designed. New episodes available now. Subscribe to The Perfect Scam Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. Canadian bacon and hardwood smoked bacon. Or Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Get $2 off a large bacon duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. What's up, y'all? I'm JJ McCorvey. I'm a journalist who writes about business and blackness. And I'm Shayna Watson, a fashion industry professional and writer with my eye on the social and cultural impact of trends and style. And, and this, this is, is your business. business. Ooh, ah, with my friend. He's so, so cool. I can't sing that part. Sometimes bad and he sometimes acts a fool. What? Hanging with my man, he's also fine. Then I have to stop because they say the title after that. Mr. Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> Cooper. I like that. But yeah. well, wait, also fine. I. No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't. It was that. his show, so I feel like they had to say the they had to say what they had to say. But all right, Mr. Cooper. Right. That was Raven. That was a Raven Simone joint too. Oh, right. Yeah, she was on there. Angelisa was on there. She was. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. Really, I kind of want to go back in. I don't either. Yeah. Oops. Uh, nope. Nope. Sorry. Nope. Anyway, Sorry. Nope, no, no. Hi, <laughs> So, you know, I've had this challenge to myself to walk away from every episode that we've recorded and do an action, like, from our expert guest. And mm-hmm. I kind of, like, fell off a little bit with that after... Um, I think it was after Chloe. So it's been a couple people. Um, but this week I got back on track mm-hmm. and I really delved into Patreon and like what that means and how other content creators are using it. And I created a Patreon for Yo Business. Hey. Yeah, so if you go to patreon.com slash Yo Business Pod, um, you'll be able to see our tiers and be able to just donate. Like, y'all, editing is expensive. Dongles are expensive. Mics are expensive. <laughs> What's a dongle? <laughs> What's a dongle? <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think just bringing people along in this journey. And the cool thing about Patreon is once people become patrons, we can also give them bonus content mm-hmm. and you know, one yeah, of these tier, these paid tiers are lit. Yeah. And like one of the tiers you get to like, if you have a small business, we'll shout it out on the pod and you know, just things we, we are doing this for our community. And so we want that community to also feel like we've uh, incorporated them. So mm-hmm. I think it's cool. Cause Patreon is so about so much more than just the money. It's about right. like, we're all in this together and like, we want to keep giving you guys what you want to hear and we want to keep creating content and mm-hmm. it, w- it would be lovely if we could get yeah and speaking support. of us all being in it together like one of my favorite perks of um uh one of the tiers is when you um join the 25 dollar tier you can also ask questions mm-hmm. and have us ask the interviewee questions right. exactly um, what you want to know yeah, and yeah. so it, it goes to like this whole knowledge share thing that we're 100%. trying to do. 100%. We're getting to a point where this is getting expensive, but we want to be able to keep doing it. So, like, any support would be helpful. It would be great. Yes. 
Are you ready for your business? <laughs> I hate that we always have to start with something awful. Yeah. But, um, but we'll end it know. with something good this yeah. time. We've already, we've tried. We, we're already like figured out the counterbalance. Yes. Yes. Because <laughs> there's good in the world too. Yeah. Um. So, you know what's been in the news lately? Racism and uh, tech. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That new thing. Yeah. Apparently, like, it's really easy to, like, find discrimination on uh, YouTube and Facebook and, and Reddit and Reddit like these rabbit holes of hate are just like so easy to fall I, into I, who knew I fell into the deepest racist Reddit rabbit hole at 6.30 this morning this morning this morning Ooh. for breakfast <laughs> I like racism, woke, for, racism breakfast. for breakfast you and had your waffles yes. and sausage and racism right I was just like trying to figure out what other people were saying about this news story and it took me down I felt like I was on the dark webs well, that's the interesting thing um, about what's happening. So YouTube, for example, um, was in the news recently because uh, one of the executives there, his name is Neil Mohan. He's the product chief um, uh, at the company. And he did an interview with the New York Times where uh, the journalist Kevin Roos was basically asking him about YouTube's algorithm that pushes you toward the next video to watch. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this particular algorithm has been um, uh, criticized lately because of the recent mass shooting in Christchurch, New Zealand. Um, Because, you know, the the shooter uh, was able to upload the video to YouTube, and it got, like, passed around a lot before um, they eventually took it down. Um, was able to upload the video of him talking about an attack or just like a general no, white supremacist? I think he was able to upload the video of the attack oh my to YouTube. And oh it got gosh. passed around on social media a lot before it was finally um, so disgusting. yanked. Um, and so, you know, a big culprit of this is uh, YouTube's um, recommendation engine, which basically pushes you to similar content. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even outside of the of this horrible video, um, the company, you know, kind of... It, when, when you watch the video, obviously, it pushes you toward similar content. So, if you're like some... If you're like racist light, right? right. <laughs> and you're curious about, you know, whatever, you know, super, super, super right-wing or alt-right video mm-hmm. that you've just watched, they you know, can push you to something even more extreme, Mm -hmm. right? And so um, the interview was, I don't know, it was interesting, but it was, um, a lot of people are criticizing the the executive, uh, Neil Mohan, because it was a bit disingenuous. So he tried to kind of blame it all on the the algorithm. Um, Which y'all built. (laughs) Which you built. But also, even outside of the algorithm, like, there is a... Like the default on YouTube is to have autoplay turned on, and so if you have autoplay turned on, it's automatically gonna like play the next related thing. Right. So for you to act like you know someone is just going in into your site and typing these specific you know extremist videos and racist videos into the to the site to watch, um, I don't know it's just a little disingenuous. Um, and so so that was YouTube and the news, and then. The chickens came home to roost <laughs> this week <laughs> for Facebook mm-hmm. uh, because it apparently um, uh, had had to settle a lawsuit with the ACLU for discrimination 
um, and its advertising practices. Uh, so uh, the American Civil Liberties Union um, reached a settlement totaling nearly $5 million, um, and Facebook had to agree to make changes. And so what happens, well, I, I know when I first heard about this a few years ago, what happens is Facebook, um, if you're an advertiser on Facebook, you can you could go in and like check who you don't want to see this ad. And, and black what, people was an option? Yeah. Like, no. Uh, they call it, a, quote unquote, affinity groups. And so Ugh. that means like if you had, you know, you know, housing um, uh, uh, opportunities. The opportunities are like, you know, uh, a place to, that, that you, you want to rent out a par- apartment building or if you had an Internet service. Right. Or all these things like if you if you didn't want like a particular subset of people to like see your ads and you only want to market <laughs> to other people um, outside of that group, then Facebook let you do that. Oh. Um, and it was out. That's obviously horrible. Um, and then not long after that settlement, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, a.k.a. HUD, um, filed a complaint against Facebook for um, under the Fair Housing Act and saying that Facebook allowed advertisers to discriminate in housing ads by excluding some groups from saying the ads. So. It's just been, um, oh, and also in <laughs> the racist Facebook news, they finally, I guess, found it in themselves to like ban white nationalist groups. No, I, you know, platform. I'm going to call you out. They did not ban. <laughs> when when I read that article closely, the filter that they put on to uh-huh. decide what is white nationalism seems so specific to me. What is this feels filter? like the teeniest tiniest thing they could do yeah. like you literally have to say i'm a proud white nationalist in order for them to, for them to be like oh this is bad <laughs> and it's like do white nationalists go on there and say i'm a proud white nationalist right yeah. uh, to me this feels like the minimal least tiniest teeniest thing they could do to be like look guys like we think it's bad too right and to me this just shows like the fallacy of like this hands-off approach to like to market practices like you can't you know uh, aim to create a service for like everybody in the world right and then say okay hey do what you want you know because then we see what happens when you give people the tools to do whatever they want right and so don't be surprised you know when people use your platform to do racist things but to me with facebook especially with the ad practices so you could allow uh, advertisers to advertise whatever they want, but then the fact that you included that option, like you specifically included the app, that that is a that is an intentional yeah you wanted them software. to be able to do that. Like a, a developer went in and created that particular option to uncheck the box that says African American, mm-hmm. right? And so like that is a step further into the right, intent. and that wasn't a mistake. Yeah, I've had I feel like a lot of things we've talked about on previous episodes had like come back around this week in the news. So I just wanted to like talk about those quickly. So we talked about the Jesse, the Jesse Smollett case early on um, and how we felt about it. And so all 16 charges have been dropped. Apparently, they have said they either did not have the evidence or whatever happened. These 16 felony charges have been dropped. But then this week, Rahm Emanuel said that he plans to bill Jussie for the police work that had to happen for this this case, which they are still calling a hoax. It's like, if is he not guilty or what? Like, 
Bill him for what? Why did you drop the charges? Right. If, if, if you thought like- that there was something. And it's just like, to me, our innocence can, even in our innocence, we can't be innocent. Yeah. Like, yeah. you didn't have enough to charge him, so you had to drop it. So then drop it. Yeah. That he doesn't seem interested in that at all. Gross. And it's like, to me, this is the same Chicago PD who recently raided the home of a four year Well, they were having a four-year-old's birthday party there. Mm-hmm. Smashed the kid's cake. Profanities everywhere. Pulled guns on kids and their parents. Ugh. And poured peroxide on his gifts. What? Then... What did you peroxide they were at, Who knows? <laughs> then they were at the wrong house oh my god so it's like these are the people that right. we're gonna just we're gonna like take their word for it get yeah. out of here like disgusting Ron Emanuel has covered up numerous yeah I, numerous. I will never forget you know him and the Laquan McDonald case like it took the entire country like demanding justice in order for like facts to come out about um the death of Laquan McDonald and I don't remember Ron Emanuel being so like gung-ho about being participatory in the in the case and like if anything he like helped cover it up and so just by that alone he's always kind of been not uh, a savory character right for me and for it's just can we live yeah like whatever happened with jesse because you know i believe something happened i i just don't think that we know all the details but whatever happened you can't charge him. Let it be. Let it go. Let it be. It's done. Yeah. Um. And then last week we talked about Joe Biden out here clout chasing on Stacey, right on Stacey Abrams' name, <laughs> and Miss Stacey came back this week on the View and said, "Clapping back." Right. And first said, "You don't run for second place." Mm. So Joe, sit on down. Bye. And then she continued to say, if I'm going to enter the primary, then I'm going to enter a primary. Mm-hmm. If I don't, then I'm going to make sure that the best Democrat is a nominee. Mm-hmm. Joe, get out of here. <laughs> like, I granted you with my presence and this is what you did with it. And we are, Joe, you, we are seeing you for who you are now and how you have been able to float on the work of minorities specifically for a very long time and enough is enough. Yeah, I, I I told you this once I like realized I put all the pieces together um of how he uh, what had to be his thought process when he threw her name out there mm-hmm. because he had to assume I, I said like wait a minute the primaries haven't even happened yet. Right. So you're assuming that, that she's not gonna she's not gonna run or if she runs she's not gonna be successful. So right. like why are you not floating her as your VP? Like she, she didn't cop to that. No, you know it's just yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I hope I want him to sit on down. Um. So yeah, so. those were just like two follow ups, and then something new that's on my mind this week is this birth strike movement, which is not a new thing, but um, just something that I keep seeing popping up as Mm -hmm. we talk more and more about climate change and what that really means for future generations. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who don't know, the birth strike movement is basically this call to action that some activists have done for women to not have children um, until there is an address into climate change. Mm. And I feel two ways about it. In one way, I'm like, hell yes, because these are our bodies and 
I always think about bringing a child into the garbage world that we have and how I don't want that. But then on the other hand, I also feel sad that as women, our bodies always need to be weaponized. As a black woman, I feel that way about, I've talked about this in my writing, is like, I, my hair is a political statement because it's forced to be. Mm. Like, why can't it just be growing out of my head? It doesn't say anything. Maybe it doesn't say anything about who I am, but I don't feel like we're allowed that. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of sad that like doing something so natural to a lot of women is uh, now also has to be used as a political act. Right. Um, so I, I feel very divided on it. And they are like making sure to say that this birth strike is not about population control and it's not about shaming or discouraging anyone from having children, but it's to bring the issue of climate change to the forefront and sparking change regarding how we address because we think climate change is like that the polar bears are dying right. and it's, it's so not much more right. It's that like, and your girl AOC this week had a very passionate clip about talking about like how kids in the Bronx are suffering from more asthma than any other population because of climate change and because of their environment. And so this is not about like being a privileged person in recycling, right? This is right. about the quality of life. Right. Um, Who's starting the birth strike movement? So I don't really know who started it. I've seen some like YouTube activists talk a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is, there's a UK based organization called birth strike mm-hmm. that has about 200 members globally who have decided this. And so they have been the people talking mostly about it, but uh, Congresswoman AOC voiced her own concerns about procreating because of climate change. So I mm. think it's just like coming back around to the fact that we do have to think, and you know, our generation is having babies later and less, and we do have to think about the world that we are moving through and the traumas that we're moving through every day and mm. like what it means to bring a new person into that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah. Um Man, when The Handmaid's Tale dystopian uh, reality comes... Oh, my gosh. Like, when it comes to real life, like, AOC is going to be the first one to go. Oh, for sure. She's saying too much. Yeah, they're like, you are saying too much. You're coming over here flipping over tables. No, and and we're not having it. Yeah. You you have gotten out of your place. Yeah. She is. I I was, like, really um, impassioned by her climate change discussion because it is, like, not an elitist issue and it's not an issue about agreements and it's not an issue about treaties. It's a literal life and death everyday issue. All right. Can we lighten it up? <laughs> <laughs> right. Handmaid's Tale to something like Yes, please. Um, so I thought it would be a good idea uh, for our last topic um, in your business to be about business, <laughs> to be about black owned businesses specifically who are creating services um, and products for their own. So one is, uh, her name is Lisa Skeet Tatum. She's the founder of Landed. Um, and Landed is like this really cool um, app and website um, that um, it it basically uh, kind of acts like a career coach for you. So whatever, um, you know, field that you're going in, um, they offer uh, career advice. They offer like to to like revamp your social media presence, your resume. They send you job offers and all these kinds of um, um, 
services um, tailored to your your particular personality and uh, career path. Um, and it's specifically geared toward um, diverse talent. So like, you know, uh, women and minorities. And um, she recently raised $13 million. Um, and the funding was led by WeWork, which is the um, the uh, co-working space here in New York. That's awesome. And mine was uh, Neosha Gardner, who's the founder of Create Her Stock which is a grassroots resource and digital space for stock imagery that can be used for lifestyle, business, and everyday content creation for creatives, bloggers, online influencers. Um, She had an awesome write-up in Forbes that Mm. just really talked about how she saw, she looked on Getty and she looked on the other stock places and she didn't see anything that was really targeted towards Black women. Mm -hmm. Um, And this really targets the African-American female content creators and people who want to use imagery that is up to date and trendy. I'm just excited about that and like to see her that. grow a little more. Yeah, and I'm and I'm excited that places like Forbes have already recognized that she's doing a dope thing. For sure. I wonder if she pronounces it create her or creator. Either way, I love it. Yeah, I thought it was probably creator, but then yeah, the spelling is create her. So I good play it. on words. Good job, Neosha. All right. I and I, I feel like our guest today is the also for sure on this list. He does a lot to serve his community. So come on back, you guys. This is maybe one of my top interviews thus far. Yes. Paper. Yes. All right. See you soon. Okay. So today we have Justin Garrett Moore, who is an urban designer and executive director of the New York City Public Design Commission. Also, um, he just wears a ton of hats. He has a social enterprise called Urban Patch that we'll talk a little bit about. And he's part of a collective called Black Space, um, which is a collective of Black urban designers, arts and cultural producers interested in Black spaces. So, Justin, thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for having me. We are Black spaces, music to my ears. Yes, that's like all I ever <laughs> want is a space yes. with all Blackness in it. yes. So welcome, Justin. Um, tell us, like, give us like an intro of like what is like the through line of all your projects because you're involved in so much. But is there like one um, uh, umbrella, you know, term or a few sentences that you give people when they ask you how it all ties together? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, a kid of the inner city. I like to say, and so growing up, I was just always very conscious of my environment, of my background of my community. And you could see even as a child that there were some problems. And so the work that I've been doing and interested in for a long time has just been, how do you make things better? Uh, And so that can be through professional means, it can be through kind of community and social means, but that's really the, the thread is how do we make our environments better and our communities better? Yeah. And living in a, so where did you grow up? So I grew up in Indianapolis, okay. uh, so Midwest, but uh, a lot of people joke like, oh, you know, might, might not that be that bad, but it was the city, you yeah. know, it doesn't have that Im- impression, you know, people don't think of it like of it Detroit or St. Louis or something right. like that, but those conditions are across all American cities and it was that kind of traditional inner city America kind of uh, uh, context. Yeah. And then moving to a city as huge as New York, was that... Did did your did your mind think about that that the problems would be bigger or like what was the move here like for you? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I actually moved uh, to New York in two thousand one, so that was just 
crazy because I moved here and then 9-11 happened. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So it, it was a, an intense kind of time. Um, but but exactly, you know, you think, okay, New York, is, there's all this uh, uh, kind of complexity and, and dynamics here that are, are difficult. I actually moved to Harlem right here on a 108th uh, Manhattan Avenue is where I first moved and Harlem was different then. Right. <laughs> um, and so, it, you know, it was sort of a, a reality like, oh, I'm landing in this environment that has all these challenges. But um, the thing I love about New York is over the years, this is one of the most resilient places on earth. Mm. I mean, the just thing after thing happens and the people are just amazing. They, they take on any challenge, whether it's a, a outside challenge or, or something that's kind of self-produced within the just craziness of the economy and capital that are swirling around this city. Yeah. The people are amazing. And living in a city this big, so I'm from Pittsburgh, so I, oh, cool. I kind of understand, yes, you know, a okay. little bit of this <laughs> small town um, situation. And so moving here, it feels impossible to impact a change. Like there's so many people and you're kind of just like hustling and bustling all day. What are some things that we can do to get involved? Oh, that's a great question. Wonderful question. So. I always say that cities are people, right? So you come to a city and you see like all the big buildings, the the bridges, the the parks and traffic, and there it's this big, horrible machine that seems like you have no control over it. But when you break it down, cities are just people. Mm. You know, in New York, there's eight and a half, probably really nine million people. And that's what's making it. And it's all these individuals kind of collectively right, doing and, and working together. And so it's getting involved in in different groups in your community. It could be starting your own organization. Mm. Uh, it could be um, uh, looking at spaces that are kind of not to their fullest potential and saying, okay, how do we remake that? And it's great. You can get involved with community boards. You can get involved with uh, people that do similar work to you. And, and you just start. So... As the as executive director of New York City Public Design Commission, um, you've worked on projects in neighborhoods like Williamsburg and Fort Greene. We know that those are two neighborhoods that have changed drastically yes. over the years. Um, and I'm just curious, like, as a, a New York City official, like, what do you think about what the city is doing to address, like, the, the ongoing, like, gentrification crisis mm-hmm. here and um and kind of like the widening mm-hmm. income disparity yes so uh i've worked in city government since uh 2005 so 14 years now uh, and i worked originally at the city planning department so this is the agency that does the neighborhood planning and and rezonings mm. uh and, and a big part of what happens in rezonings is changes to policy to land use that uh, can drive real estate development. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, in Harlem, you see the kind of the towers going up next to the Apollo Theater. That's from a rezoning where the city said you can build more uh, here, right? Mm. And so there's absolutely a connection between these decisions that are made by government uh, that that affect real estate development and, and can promote increases in rents, increases in property values, and and changes for uh, people have been in their communities long term. Uh, so it's definitely something that has some negative impacts on communities, and this is nothing new in planning. Yeah. Um, another kind of hat I wear, I'm part of the National uh, 
Organization of Urban Planners, so the American Planning Association. And there is an acknowledgement that things like policy, zoning, have major social impacts and effects that have negatively impacted communities of color, low-income communities, and, and immigrant communities. Mm. Um, so in, here in New York, that's obviously a, a part of the pattern of our city. That's frankly what's made New York, New York. Mm. Uh, you know, the midtown Manhattan where all the skyscrapers used to be, those were neighborhoods at one yeah. point. And those people are gone. Yeah. You know, this is, this is indigenous land, yeah. <laughs> right? Point, the city just seems like unlivable it, it, it right, will right. unlivable you know yeah. for the average person, person. Mm-hmm. right so the, yeah so there are things that that have shifted in policy when when the new mayor came in they created something called mandatory inclusionary housing mm-hmm. so this is a policy where when you change the zoning of a neighborhood where people can build more that you require that they build affordable housing mm-hmm. so that's a good measure where you know 20, 25% of new units built will have these income-restricted units. Mm. But the question that always comes up then is affordable to whom? Right. And so there are a lot of kind of moving parts to this. So, mm-hmm. you know, the affordability levels are connected to federal policies, right? So that's HUD. Ben Carson. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> right? And and HUD, out of, out of the federal government, they put these provisions in place for kind of what counts as affordable housing based on what they call median incomes, area median incomes. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of kind of triggers that that need to be put in place. Um, but something I, I tell people is that a lot of decisions are ultimately very local and local communities, people can have an impact on the changes happening in their neighborhood. Um, there's this um, uh, sort of story that you know, the city has a plan, they go and they do their plan, and then that's what happens, and the people don't have a, a choice. That's not really the case in New York. New York has a very strong <laughs> and established community mm-hmm. process, and the politics here is local. Yeah, local. I mean, we've seen uh, that play out, right, just recently with Amazon. With Amazon, with Amazon. Right? Ex- exactly. Yeah. Like, the people, <laughs> exactly. The people have spoken. <laughs> right, that, that narrative. Yeah, like, you know what, right. actually, we're just not... Right, uh, right, yeah, Amazon, and, and, right. And, that, and that happens a lot, and it's that's not the story that a lot of people have, because right. so many public processes and, and city change projects do happen through a lot of different people shifting what ultimately happens and so people just say oh it was approved it's like no there was a lot that happened trading you know compromises that happened for something to get approved but sometimes the answer is no and and people can stop things my first follow-up to that is how do people get involved in those kinds of decisions mm-hmm. right right um and then two can you talk a bit about like how one thing I think that doesn't get talked about enough is um, like when you talk about like black spaces, like the, the spaces for like uh, minority entrepreneurship and mm-hmm. like how does then how does like, you know, allowing, you know, skyscrapers to go up next to Apollo, <laughs> how does that <laughs> then like affect the black entrepreneurship sure. in the neighborhood as well, along right. with like the uh, obviously the rent, the rent prices and right. all that? So yeah, there's I think a, a couple different entry points for people to 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 take that on. So one is involvement kind of before the project happens or or while they're in their early stages. And so you can 
literally get involved with the, the public process, right? So that's joining a community board, uh, which, you know, it takes time to, to frankly see yourself in a leadership position. So you can feel strongly about something. You can uh, have an impact by becoming a part of the, the very complex ecosystem of, of leadership and decision-making that there is in the city. So a lot of people don't get involved formally, but that's something that absolutely you can do. And unfortunately, younger people and people of color do not tend to get involved formally in the processes that and make wh- our why city. Why do you think that is? Is it because we don't know about them or? I think, I think it's a combination of people not knowing about it, but also it, those spaces are not spaces that are really designed yeah, for I was going to say younger, like the distrust also. Right. Just yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you kind of go and your whole, the whole point of being there is for your voice and your thoughts mm-hmm. to matter. And right. you can be marginalized within those spaces. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, that happens for those of us that have gone into government, right? For that same reason, because we're there to have our thoughts and, and, and voices heard, but then you can be marginalized in those spaces. Right. So it's, it's just, it's hard. But it, you still have to to be at the table, right, Shirley Chisholm? You you have to be at the table, mm. um, and it, it's a process. But but absolutely, that's one way people can can lead is by just getting directly involved. Another example is uh, to your point about kind of small businesses is that in New York we have a, a different situation from a lot of communities and a lot of cities where there are actually a lot of resources here. Uh, so there are over three hundred thousand people that work in New York City. Government, one of those kind of large groups of people are small business services agency. Uh, Greg Bishop is commissioner. Uh, and there are all these programs and things that they actually... As things change, other things stay the same, like Ohio Lottery scratch-offs. From small tickets to big tickets, from bright colors to flashy themes, there's something for everyone. Big wins make big stories, but it's the millions of small wins every day that make life-changing memories. And your biggest win will come by following the state-recommended safety protocols during this special holiday season. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. You know, as different as everything seems this holiday season, one thing still holds true year after year. Everybody loves holiday scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. And with tickets available from $1 to $20, they're the perfect gift for anyone on your list 18 years or older. So, stay safe this year and play it safe with your gift-giving. Give scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. Do we do to help small businesses to either just start business in the first place uh, or businesses that are seeing issues with their uh, kind of rents and space needs and, and other kinds of needs that there are public resources for people to sort of engage in that. Um, you know, there are even legal services and things that that businesses can do around uh, making sure that they're not having unfair practices in in their rent increases and and lease negotiations. Uh, So there are things that that people can can do, but the the best thing that people can do, frankly, is to support their community. So, um, you know, it's a capitalist world, society, country, city. And your dollar matters. And so the people in your community going and shopping at the small businesses makes a big difference. What often happens is, is a neighborhood is undergoing change 
and the new businesses come in, people stop going to the old businesses. Right. Yeah. We have to be conscious consumers. Yeah. And that, that makes a difference. It's yeah. like that, you know, there are more than one reason why people can't pay the rent. Can you just give us the very base level of what urban planning oh. and urban design is? Because for me, it's like the right. Sims or like roller coaster tycoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just like, that you're like, oop, boop, boop. Here's a building. Here's a building. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of luck. Exactly. Like here is let me wake my sim up and let me Right. Yeah, Sims is is actually kind of a gateway for a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah. I I have to admit. I I have to admit. Um so yeah, so urban planning uh, and urban design sort of different sort of sectors. Um urban planning is all of the policies and decisions that decide how land is used. So, and, and the technical term is land use, right? So, on this piece of land, you can either build a house, you can build a 10-story apartment building, you can build a factory spewing pollution, whatever it is. Uh, it could be a park, street, all that. So, it's the people that decide, and it's very complex, obviously, how land is used. Public land, private land, and there are all these kind of rules and regulations for how that's managed, right? Environmental impact. Uh, we talk about environmental justice issues in these country uh, in this country. Um, so putting all of the manufacturing that has a lot of pollution next to the neighborhood where the black people plan uh, happen to live is a land use decision. Right. Right. And so that's why urban planning is really important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, it's another field like many others that mm-hmm. doesn't have a lot of people of color mm-hmm. uh, in, involved in the field. And so... Um, one of the reasons that I really uh, think it's important that more people of color know about and engage with planning is because all of those decisions seriously affect our communities. Right. Uh, the health outcomes of our communities in, in our field will talk a lot about the zip code problem, where a, zip, a white zip code, people will live 10 years longer than in a black mm. zip code. Mm. And those are all connected to things like air pollution, uh, water contamination, uh, access to things like uh, services and education, so Mm -hmm. where grocery stores are located, walkability, uh, transit access, all of these things are decisions that urban planners are helping to make. It sounds like um, a lot of what you're talking about also um, ties to the climate change discussion happening right now in this country. We just saw the Green New Deal uh, proposal get shut down basically right um and uh what you saw alexandria ocasio-cortez um tying a lot to climate change uh in those conversations were was how minority communities get um adversely affected Affected. absolutely because of what you're talking about absolutely and like our proximity to you know pollution and absolutely you're saying that's because we don't have a lot of people at the table helping with we don't we don't absolutely and climate is is uh, such an important issue for our communities uh if you kind of go back a little bit you know black people were in you know they call the black belt right in this in the the south and uh very often where they were allowed to settle were areas that were flood prone Right, which we still, yeah, <laughs> which in that pattern exists to this day, right? 
And so when we talk about the hurricanes coming and, and everything in the Southeast the U.S. Right. Like, <laughs> like, and when you, so when you talk about it this way, like the system that is in place, and this is why I always, and we will get back to it. I'm sorry. This is why I always say that Black people existing in 2019 are superhuman at this point because the things that we've fought the systems that we fought through and the fact that we're still here and like making more black babies and like living successful lives is the ultimate gag because they've just done so (laughs) So much much. oh like like the floods now like can we (laughs) can we talk about black space like black black spaces are my just in general like jj yells at me but i just choose to to not have non-black spaces in my life when I don't need to unless I'm getting paid for them so (laughs) I I love the idea of your collective and I love what you guys are doing so if we can just talk about your manifesto kind of how it started all of that yes yes so yeah love black space um so, you know, we say that we have a, a vision where the present and future of Black people, Black spaces, and Black culture matter and thrive. Mm. And it's, it's really, uh, it is a collective. There are all these different people that have in their own way and own interests been thinking about and connected to Black spaces. So it's, it's kind of what has produced us in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's what we're responsible to in another way. Um, so it started uh, at the Harvard University Black and Design Conference. It's you called. You be uh, starting right? at Harvard. Okay. <laughs> oh, and y'all, he's like leaving here to go to Columbia. Like, <laughs> so this is the, the real deal in here today. So but it, it, sound, it sounds more elite than it is um the so harvard you know has probably a lot of these predominantly institutions have where there wasn't a great kind of space for black culture black knowledge to be acknowledged and elevated and so a group of students there created a conference around the work that black architects urban planners preservationists were doing so a bunch of us from all over the country go up there and it was like just amazing because there are all these people from all over the country, from, you know, Black Belt of Alabama to Oakland, Chicago, all coming together to talk about the issues that they were having in their communities. And so there was a, a, a kind of New York group that had gone, gone up there and they met for the first time there, right? Mm. They're in New York and they never kind of crossed paths. They crossed paths at this conference and just decided to start meeting, connect with each other, have brunches. Out, make their own little black spaces, um, and the the idea really became people sharing the resources and the kind of the collective energy that's needed to do this very difficult work. I just want to pause real quick because your uh, the black space manifesto, like I want to like print it out and put it up on my wall. <laughs> yes. right? yeah. I just want to like call out some of them because sure, yes, lot, yes, but I, <laughs> some of them I just have to read. So one, it says to celebrate, catalyze, and amplify black joy. Mm-hmm. Yes, black joy is a radical act. Woo! <laughs> Give due space to joy, laughter, humor, and gratitude. So that's one. And then it's create circles, not lines. Create less hierarchy and more dialogue, inclusion, and empowerment. And then another one I love was seek people at the margins. Yes. Like, because so often the people at the margins are like the last thought about. When actually if we just, 
even moved them a, to the middle to like right. the, the the second people thought about right, them. right. <laughs> the world and, ver- and very often the people at the margins are the majority. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay, Justin. Justin! <laughs> <laughs> so I'm on the site, and I also saw that you have a um, a spaces and places. Uh, Yes. workshop happening in Oakland yes uh next month in April so I know that um similar to what's happened in New York mm-hmm. and the surrounding and the surrounding boroughs as a result of housing development and mm-hmm. real estate um similar things are also happening in the Bay Area because of right. the tech presence there yeah intense um, yeah and so um I, I'm I'm looking on your list of collaborators <laughs> and participants, and I'm not seeing a lot of tech companies. So I'm curious, like, have have you reached out to? I don't mean to put you on the spot, yeah, yeah. right? Have, you have, have you, him to spill. Have you yeah. reached out to like Google, to Facebook, to tech to, like, companies, a lot of these tech companies that have um, been responsible for so drastically changing right. the the uh, makeup of the communities there? And if you have. What has been your response? Right, right. So we have not. Okay. Um, and I'll give you a little background on Spaces and Places. So Spaces and Places uh, started a few years ago. And um, it started because there's, like I mentioned, the American Planning Association, this national association, had these conferences. And a number of people um, had submitted proposals for what to present at the conference, and none of them were accepted. Their proposals were around working in communities of color. Mm. And so a group of people said, well, they may not accept a conference, but we still have this conversation. And so they did their own little mini conference. Um, And now what it does is it follows that conference around. Uh, so this year, the, the uh, conference is in San Francisco. And so I love and I <laughs> lo- yeah, I love that. You're like, oh, we weren't accepted. That's cool. We'll do our own conference right next to yours. So where, where are we going next year? And instead of costing $800, it's free. Because I that's one of the reasons that people can't. You better go ahead and be professionally <laughs> dragging. Like, yes. That's great. But it's important that you have the space because who can afford to go to an $800 conference, right? right? And and that, and that doesn't accept us. And that doesn't accept, exactly. We don't, yeah. And so we, you know, we raise money and we get sponsorships and things to pay for it so that it can be free. It's not, you know, it still costs money to do, but we, we right. get it uh, sponsored. But um, so the idea of it and the reason why it's not the Googles and, and all the kind of the companies is we we start by going to the organizations that have been working on the ground in those communities so that we can hear and understand what it is that they're going through and mm-hmm. what they need from this kind of national audience of people that are doing similar mm-hmm. things. So it, it is centered on the local kind mm-hmm. of organizations so that we can, you know, I think give them the space that, that they don't often get. Right. right. So Google, right. Google can say, oh, we're going to build a city in Toronto and the entire world is interested in what Google thinks about communities. Mm. Right. These black and brown organizations that are working in, you know, last year in New Orleans, you know, neighborhoods in New Orleans that were completely wiped out and told and given resources to rebuild. But when it's rebuilt, it's not rebuilt for them. Mm. Right. So. Man. Go ahead. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So this is who we are saying we need to listen to. We need to have these conversations. The the big people we you know we obviously have to engage with them at some point, right? But 
the little resources we have, we want to try to make sure that people that do not get their mm-hmm. voices heard. You create these black spaces. Exactly. I love that. And Urban Patch has a, another arm that you guys are developing, right? Yes, Can yes. we talk about that? And can we also talk about this shirt and this jacket that you <laughs> walked in with? So for our listeners, I will describe. It is just like a dope blue button down, but all of the piping is an African print. And you can see it yes. through the collar. He also... I like was eyeing his bomber jacket as I hung it up. It also yes. has the African print patches on yes. the pockets yes. and the detail. What yes. is this? What are you yeah. wearing? So it's a Katenge. So it's Rhonda Clothing Company. Look them up. They're very cool. And it's uh, it's Katenge, uh print fabric that's that they kind of incorporate into all their clothing. It's really cool. So um, something really exciting for, for Urban Patch and actually just got back on this Monday, this week, um, from Kigali, which is the capital of Rwanda. And we purchased our first property there. Oh, my gosh. Um, very excited. So I own own land in the motherland. Oh, wow. my gosh. That's uh, awesome. And we are developing affordable housing in Kigali, Rwanda. Wow, Justin. And so... Uh, Kind of the background of this is I have a very good friend, uh, uh, Fatu Da. That we went to uh, school together and actually worked together briefly at the city planning department. And uh, a while ago, she we thought she was crazy. She's like, I'm moving to Rwanda uh, to work for the city government there. So she worked at city government here doing planning. She went there to, to work at city government doing planning. So... Um, Rhonda, uh, you know, most people know the genocide and kind of the crazy history that they've had, but they've, since the genocide, have been rebuilding uh, at an incredible pace. Uh, It's a rapidly urbanizing country, which is the case of a lot of uh, uh, developing nations. And so they have a problem with housing and uh, sort of gone there, visited. It's really great. And the thing that he sort of saw was that they were repeating a lot of the mistakes that we know we had here. Because mm. what happens is like the development banks and the policy arms and everything, they say, okay, you guys need to develop. Here's how you should develop. And it's like a, a, a blueprint boilerplate that is one terrible <laughs> idea. But, <laughs> um, you know, they, they aren't necessarily um, being totally critical of it because they just need you know, to deal with their basic need. And so um, going there, looking at the project, we decided that maybe our urban patch model that we've been doing in Indianapolis, which is a smaller scale, what we call incremental development, could work there. Um, So we're doing a new development, ground-up construction, uh, with eight units of apartment building on this lot. That is awesome. Congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. I I think implicit in, like, and what you're talking about is like this um this willingness to sacrifice and i, I want to say sacrifice in a sense like you're like just giving up your wealth right but right. i think a lot of what we see a lot of the harm that we see done um from businesses today is like you know again i hate to keep saying it because at this point it's like a bad word in my podcast Facebook. Right. <laughs> but um you see like companies like facebook and like all these right. um other larger companies even like chemical companies like dow oh know, yeah like, well dow is just this, this <laughs> relentless pursu- pursuit mm-hmm. just this relentless pursuit of profits right. and how there's nothing intentional in that because all you're pursuing is money but right i like the fact that 
you're like saying, yeah, maybe, you know, I am not, you know, charging my tenants 10x, you know, I'm not building an apartment building where I can like charge them $10,000 a month rent, but they are paying my mortgage, you know, and, 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 um, and I'm able to, and because of that, I'm able to like buy this building. Right. Right. And at some point there has to be a cap on what you (laughs) need, right? Right. It's just like how much, Jeff Bezos, how much money do you (laughs) need? I think that you're fine, you know? And so like, and that's what I hear from when you're speaking. It's like, I'm not trying to be a pauper. Like I'm out here also trying to be successful, but I don't need all the money from all the people. Right. It's, it's just not necessary. And the, the thing that's, it's been interesting is the surprises because people are like, oh, well, you could make so much more because we're, mm. we're obviously going to be um, selling these units and we're selling units in Rwanda because it's like, I don't want to be a landlord in Rwanda. It's like, people build right. it, you yeah, buy you it, it's your, it. it's your land. Yeah. yeah. Um, but people are like, oh, you could charge so much more. It's like, but people can't afford it. Right. And I'm, I'm trying to help. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's yeah. like, it's like, I feel like so many other entrepreneurs will respond to that as, but somebody will, you know, and that's what like, that is. but not the people I'm trying to help. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, that's not where the need is. That's not where the demand is. And, you know, if you do it right, I mean, we'll see how this project works out, but you sell it at prices people go for you could sell more of them yeah. right i just wish so i wish so much as, as a person who covers business i wish so much of the world thought that way like in terms yeah. of selling and buying and pursuing right profits and and you'll it'll, you'll be like you said you'll be fine you'll you're be okay, okay. Yeah, you're okay. you don't need more it's like, it's like <laughs> at what point do you stop yeah thank you thank you You've like this is fun this, this was so good this was so good Aww. and i feel like you've yeah reminded us that it is always about more than money oh yeah always yeah no to, so many more things to worry about right right because <laughs> really i think from a business perspective it's like we're taught like like when you talk about miseducation we're taught that that's what we're doing this for you want to be successful you want your net worth to be huge and it's just like no you also want to like do well right and do yeah. good i'm still a millionaire right oh <laughs> We're gonna sign off. Mike, listen, that was the best ending. Thank you so much, Justin. All right, welcome. Bye, bye. Bye. Um, did y'all hear that mic drop at the end of that interview? Straight up, (laughs) he was like, "Okay, and then now, bye." Like, don't forget who I am. I have nothing else to say. It made me feel so inspired and reminded about that serving your community will serve you. That's what I took away from it. Yeah. It's like you are not at a loss at all because you want to do good and do well Can for you your people. Imagine if like so many like if the rest of the business world thought that way. Yeah, yeah it's just the paradigm shift that would happen. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> um, that was awesome. I'm really happy that we had him in here. All right. Our last segment is our LLC that stands for Learned, Loved, or Cancelled, which I feel like I did all of that this week. Um, so what's your LLC this week? So I have a love and I have a cancel. My love is uh, Beyonce at the GLAAD Awards. Mm-hmm. Beyonce and Jay-Z were at the 30th Annual GLAAD Awards. Um, she was honored with the Vanguard Award. Um, and right before, <laughs> right before um, Beyonce's speech, um, she was honored uh, with the performance uh, by Shangela, who mm. is uh, RuPaul's Drag Race uh, contestant and uh, rightful winner of All Stars 3. Uh, <laughs> um, 
And it was really cool because, you know, Shangela impersonates um, Beyonce in a lot of her live performances. And, you know, she's a very fierce dancer. Uh, and, you know, when she finished, like, Beyonce, like, gave her uh, a standing ovation. Oh, and, that's awesome. Who wouldn't? I mean, right. I mean, you could die now. Yeah. You know, get it. Right. You've done enough. The greatest performer in the world gave you a standing ovation. Right. Um, and so that was really cool. But what really got me was, um, and I want to make a quick correction, which I guess is telling, that it was it was actually Beyonce and Jay-Z that were awarded. Oh, her Vanguard. husband was there? <laughs> with the Vanguard Award, not just Beyonce. Um, but what what I wanted to shout out as my love was her, um, um, part of her acceptance speech where she talks about her uncle. Um, so I'll just play that. This award to my uncle Johnny, the most fabulous gay man I've ever known, and I ever knew, who helped raise me and my sister. He lived his truth. He was brave and unapologetic during a time when this country wasn't as accepting. And witnessing his battle with HIV was one of the most painful experiences I've ever lived. I'm hopeful that his struggle served to open pathways for other young people to live more freely. LGBTQI rights are human rights. So, yeah, that was just powerful to me. I, it made me a little emotional um, because, one, like, talk about using what you have to service your communities. Like, mm-hmm. being gay and being black and gay does not exclude you from being part of the black community. Right. right? And so to have, like, this uh, amazing black icon talking about um, gay life and um, the fact that um, HIV is ravaging um, the black gay community at a rate far uh, faster than other um, uh, communities uh, just felt really important to me and um, yeah it just I, it just felt good and um, yeah that's all and I and you know what I what you didn't here and the video I just played was uh, Beyonce did acknowledge um, that Jay Z has you know come a long way. Um, not entirely sure what that means, but I'm assuming that it meant that um, you know she was acknowledging that he you know as a rapper from the '90s and, and beyond um, has made homophobic statements in some of his lyrics, as so many rappers have. Um, and and since then has um, worked with gay people, has spoken affirmatively of them, and done, um, I'm assuming, community work. Um, and, um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. And and that was a part of me that wanted to, like, side-eye him for being up there with her. But then I also remember, like, like people I grew up with and, like, cousins and, you know, people who um, were raised in a certain way and, and would with certain hyper-masculine uh, expectations and how once they were shown something outside of that, they also changed. Right. So Red- that was my last Redemption. Thing. My canceled is Vallejo uh, police who shot Willie McCoy um, uh, last month while he was asleep in his car at a Taco Bell. Um, literally... <sighs> Yeah, literally the least harmful thing you could be doing. Six officers shot into his vehicle. I refuse to watch the video, but on the um, 
on the uh, title image of the video, you can see like a white hand of an officer pointing toward the car and like the uh, with the gun and the the bullet holes in the window. You know, and this is like just like adding to yet another thing that black people can't do, can't do. <laughs> is sleep or eat Taco Bell <laughs> or, or eat Taco Bell. Um, so yeah, you know, mm. all the way canceled. Um, yeah, I guess I am at least a little encouraged that this was body cam that um that uh captured this video and then witnesses also filmed from a distance and 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 their video also confirmed that they didn't even like bother to give commands before shooting inside his vehicle so i'm hoping that some justice is served right um but as you pointed out last episode um you know this is not even um sometimes proof is not even enough to get um, conviction. So that's my cancel. The world is trash. Uh, <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I'll just keep McCoy's family in our prayers. Yeah. So I have <clears throat> a loved and a learned this week. Um, my love this week was I just stumbled upon three new Black women content this week that has like revived me. Um, so one of them is a YouTube show called Diversity with Naomi Wadler, um, who she became, I think she's like 14, um, became popular during the Women's March. She gave a great speech. And so Diversity is just her show. Like she sat down with Serena and talked to her. And it's just like cool to she's see us. interviewing Serena. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And it's just cool to like be able to see us out here. And then I know you're not a fan of Facebook Watch, but they have a new uh, series. I said I wasn't a fan. Well, a fan of Facebook Watch profiting off of black content. Well, it's happening again. So (laughs) (laughs) they have a new series coming out called Hair Flick and Quinta B is in it. And you know how I love Quinta. I love her. And Freddie, who is also from BuzzFeed. And they basically adopted the film noir genre, but they're doing black hair care tutorials in the film noir genre. It looks so cool. Um, So I'm really excited for that to come out. And then my third one that I love this week, I don't know if you've heard of an artist named Kirby. Um, She was signed to Rock Nation. She's been out for a long time. She's written songs for a lot of people. And she just... I stumbled upon a friend sent to me a video that she has on YouTube called Thank God You Didn't Love Me. And it is the anthem. It's like best thing I never had, but um, just awesome. Oh, it's so good. Thank you for not loving me. So yes, so that I could. Right, exactly. And like in it, she says like, I know you want me to like bust the windows out your car, but I'm not. I'm just thanking you for like sparing me from mm. this um so yeah it's just reminded that we are like when you let us flourish and let us just like be ourselves then the whole world wins yeah. um and my learned this week is that some of y'all still think that rape and robbery are the same crime Ooh. so so you know jj that i have a personal uh rule that I will always bring up something on a first date that lets me know how someone thinks about consent. Mm. There's been other dates that I've been on where I've brought up R. Kelly or I brought up just from a cultural perspective. Cause to me, if your answer is like, well, women lie, we need to hear both sides. And like, let's wait, let's wait, for let's more wait or more or like she, she went in the hotel room. What did she expect? Mm. Well, we're never going to have another date. Cause I can tell that you don't know what consent right. is. So 
uh, this week, the surviving Cardi B hashtag was trending because Cardi, a video resurfaced from three years ago where Cardi talked about how she used to, to make money. She used to tell guys she would have sex with them and then drug them and then rob them. And people were then comparing that to Bill Cosby, who drugged women and raped them. Mm. And R. Kelly, who has sexually assaulted and raped underage people. You know, like, so y'all really think that robbery and rape are on the same level. And that to me, like learning, seeing how many, especially sadly black men or men of color were saying like, oh, y'all going really hard when it's time for black men to be taken down, but you're going to let Cardi go. Mm. Cardi did not rape anyone. So she was just saying she drugged them. And and robbed them, which is wrong, which is a crime, (laughs) but But it's not rape. rape. And for you to make her synonymous with R. Kelly shows mm. how little you take rape victims and how and how little you take the idea of consent and access to someone's body. Yeah. So I was like, oh, we're instating that. I mean, that rule never changed for me, but it's like on the list of things that you talk about on a first date for me it, it's rape because I need to know what you think about it. When it doesn't have to do anything with me, right? Because obviously, if you're trying to make me interested in you, then you're going to say the right things. But when you're talking about these other women in the public sphere, I want to know what you think about that. Why? I've been trying to figure out, like, what do you think it says about, and I hate to say black, because obviously not all black. Right, no. what 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 do you think it says about, like, gender relations in the black community where a lot of black men are so quick to like, you know, def- like to cast doubt on like black women. Yeah. Or, or like to just not immediately come to your aid. Well, I think it's, and you know, I hate this, but I do think it's a, a legacy of slavery, right? Like think about how many and very intentional that it was that black, often black enslaved men had to watch their wives being raped. Mm-hmm. So I do think that there is a a mental block there of sl- like w- protecting slash not being able to protect slash hating that this is happening, hating yourself and so then I'm hating gonna, her. Gonna so I'm going to block it out mm-hmm. and I'm going to punish the only thing that I can punish, which is you. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of theories about this that Yikes. get very deep, but, and you know, I love black men. And so sure, there, and right, and so there is nothing. None of this is is to disparage or to say that I'm walking away. But what I will not allow my love for black men to do is put me in danger. Yeah. And so a lot of y'all piping up about rape and robbery sounding the same reminded me of why I need to pay more attention to these red flags mm. of when you want to hear both sides. So that was my learn slash reminder. Sign, seal, and deliver. Yeah. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's it for us this right. week. I feel like we've taken our listeners on such a trip. I know. It's, it's, we're, we're like, like emotional trash, roller coaster. Positive. Yeah. Trash, positive. <laughs> right. Trash. <laughs> but like, also, welcome to our brains, right. right? This is like how our brains always work. Sorry, guys. You're getting yes. like inside of you into like our brains and our friendship. Our friendship, which our is yeah. <laughs> never dull. Never dull. Um, all right, y'all. You can follow us on instagram and twitter at yo business pod and patreon at yo business pod and uh support us because we're trying to support you yeah yeah yeah. and you can find me on twitter at jj mccorvey jj m-c-c-o-r-v-e-y 
Um, and on Instagram at jbfly, J-A-Y-B-F-L-Y. And I am a new creature on both, and that's A-N-U, creature. All right, love you guys. Bye. Bye. Two kinds of bacon and all kinds of delicious. Say hello to Donato's new Bacon Duo pizzas. Two pizzas, each with two kinds of bacon. Try the new Pepperoni Bacon Duo with pepperoni, Canadian bacon, and hardwood smoked bacon. And the Chipotle Bacon Duo with Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Now get $2 off a large Bacon Duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. Canadian bacon and hardwood smoked bacon. Or Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Get $2 off a large bacon duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important.